Uh, yeah, youth, Impact Mornings as well. Impact Mornings. Thank you, worship team. How cool is our worship team? Let's give a big round of applause. And uh, so good. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. Good morning. Good to see you. And I uh, hope you've had a great week. And uh, also, too, I guess we've got a number of teachers here as well. And uh, if you're a teacher, put your hand up. And uh, look, at, look at you guys. Awesome. Well, you guys are almost on holidays right now, I guess. Praise God. Got another week. And uh, so good. Struggling to think about what you're going to do over summer. Amen. And uh, it's so good. I, I must admit, moving here to the Gold Coast has been so difficult to figure out what to do uh, with annual leave. Uh, because especially at summertime, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. So, uh, so yeah, so praise God. It's uh, so such a blessing to be here. In fact, sometimes last week I went to Brisbane, had to go to Brisbane three times last week. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, what on earth was I thinking living there for 13 years? And uh, now we're in God's country, amen, and uh, so it is so awesome, so uh, praise God, suffering for Jesus here on the coast, it's just wonderful, wonderful. Uh, if you want your Bibles, uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, also too, uh, big, uh, it was fantastic having uh, so many of our volunteers uh, and leaders out, yet last, uh, out yesterday uh, down, at, uh, down at Tweed, Benora Point. We had a fantastic time celebrating all our volunteers. I want to thank everybody who volunteers in our church. Without you, we couldn't do what we do here. And you're such a great blessing and it's so absolutely brilliant. And so thank you all so much for doing that. Uh, we, just, we just love you all heaps. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Uh, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father... I just thank you for your word, and I just ask and pray, Lord, that you help us to see you more as you are. Thank and praise you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This term, uh, as you would know, we've been doing a series uh, at church uh, called The Essentials. And basically, we've been talking about some of the foundational elements of the Christian faith. And so we've been talking about a number of things that are somewhat intrinsic to our understanding of Christianity and our understanding uh, of God. Uh, for some of us, a number of things that have been preached, uh, maybe you've heard many times before, but who knows that sometimes it's important for us to fully learn something, sometimes it's good for us to have revision, and sometimes it's good for us to actually rehear something that we've heard before. So we've spoken on uh, a number of topics just last week. Uh, I preached on uh, the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've also talked about the pillars of the faith, some of the theological outliers that is important for us to understand that frame the boundaries of Christian understanding. Uh, we've talked about water baptism. And since that time, we've had a number of people water baptized in our church, uh, which has just been absolutely uh, brilliant. Uh, but today, I want to talk to you about a topic that when I speak to pastors, a lot of them don't talk about this topic on a Sunday morning because uh, very often it's so complex. So, uh, and I want to talk to you on the topic of the Trinity, the Trinity. And, um, and so I've spoken to a lot of pastors, they don't even bother talking about it because uh, it's so hard to get your head around or you get so into it. You know, I've got one friend who actually did 15 weeks in his church on the Trinity. So I'm kind of going to land a little bit in the middle of that. So basically, uh, yes, we are. I want to talk about 
the Trinity today, but we're not going to do 15 weeks. Weeks. I'm probably going to do more like 25, 30 minutes, uh, which actually means, uh, amen. Uh, so, which basically means I am absolutely sure I will not say everything there is to know about this topic. Uh, and so, if you're one of those people who are really passionate about this topic, please do not come up to me afterwards and tell me all the bits I missed, uh, because because uh, you cannot cover the whole topic uh, in just 30 minutes. Not only that, it's a topic that can be so complex that it's sometimes hard to get your head around. So, but I think it's really important for us to grasp this concept, the broad principles of this concept, because it's very, very important. Number one, for, to understand the parameters of Christian doctrine uh, so that we can be somewhat insulated from any wrong things that might want to come in. And secondly, it's also important for us to understand that there is actually a practical application for us when it actually comes to understanding the Trinity. And so today I want to talk to you about three broad concepts uh, regarding uh, the Trinity. Interestingly, here in Genesis chapter 1, and Jan and I did a series at night called Seven Sermons About God based on each day of creation. Because basically, if you look at all the days of creation, we see a snapshot of who God is uh, all through the rest of the scripture in those first seven days. And here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, it says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So it's interesting. So God's there by himself. There's no one else there. He's not talking to the angels because the angels can't create. Amen. That's why, as a side note, the devil's not creative. Have you ever noticed that? He's a fallen angel. You know, he doesn't create anything. The devil doesn't create music. Amen. The devil doesn't create drums. Amen. The devil distorts everything. He can't create anything. He's not creative. God himself is actually creative. The devil can't create movies. Uh, he could just twist them. He just twisted. And so really, we can see here that God is not talking to the angels. God is actually speaking and he says, let us. And so we see right here, in the very beginning of creation, we can see the Trinity at work right here, right now. And so the first thing we need to understand about the Trinity is, number one, that God is three. God is three. God is three distinct and divine persons. God is three. He says here in the beginning, let us. So what that means is the Trinity must have even been present right there in creation. And actually it was because it says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we can see that the Holy Spirit was there. And then John chapter 1 verse 1 actually tells us that Jesus was there as well. Because it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that's talking about Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. So we see here, even in the beginning of the creation, there's the Father, there's the Son when He spoke, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the first thing we need to understand is that God is three. He's three. He's Father, He's Son, and He's the Holy Spirit. God is three. The thing about, the Holy, uh, the thing about God, uh, the Trinity, is that each member of the Trinity is distinct. It's not like three personalities of the one God. It's not like Superman and Clark Kent. So sometimes you see Superman, sometimes you see Clark Kent. No, no, no. But the other thing is you never see him in the same place at the same time. Because he's not three distinct persons. It's not three distinct personalities. God does not have multiple personality disorder. It's three distinct and unique persons. We actually see this a number of times actually through Scripture. Luke chapter 3 verses 21 and 22 says this. 
It says, when all the people were baptised, it came to pass that Jesus was baptised. So there's Jesus. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. So there we see the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. And then it says, and a voice from heaven, the Father, said, you are my beloved son. It must have been the Father, called him son. And you, I am well pleased. So see that the Trinity is three distinct persons. It's not three manifestations. It's not three personalities. The Trinity is three distinct persons. Not only that, the Trinity is three distinctly divine, per, uh, divine persons. Each member of the Trinity is actually a person. Well, I talked about this last week when we talked about the Holy Spirit. Because he's been given the name the Holy Spirit, uh, sometimes people think he's an impersonal force, that he's not actually a person. But that's not actually true. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all divine persons. They're actually, uh, they're actually people, not personalities, actually people. That is why there is a number of attributes given to the Holy Spirit that you would only give to a person. That's why we talked about that a little bit last week. It says in John chapter 14, verses 15 and 17, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you and will be with you. So Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as a he, as a person. John 16, 13, he says, However he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. He calls him a he and then he says he speaks. So if you're not a person, you can't speak. Only people can speak. And he says the Holy Spirit will actually speak. So we know the Father speaks. We hear him a number of times in Scripture. We know the Son speaks because of his, the account of his life is there. But actually there, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will speak. You know, one of the interesting things actually as a side note is that when the Holy Spirit speaks very often, it's hard for us to discern because he speaks in a way that we don't always understand because sometimes he speaks in, uh, speaks in pictures and visions and dreams. Uh, and, and dreams and visions. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll see dreams and visions. That's why it says in Habakkuk, the prophet actually says, I will, I will see, I'm here to see what he will say to me. Did you see that? God's going to say, and the way he's going to say is that I'm going to see. And so we can see that the Holy Spirit can actually speak to us in actually in pictures and in images. Now, make no mistake, all that needs to be subservient to the written word of God. Make the, does that make sense? But we can see that he's actually a person. He can actually communicate to us and he can speak. So all of these three members of the Trinity are actually, uh, are actually distinct and they're actually persons. Not only that, each member of the Trinity is divine. Each member of the Trinity is divine. It says there in John chapter 20, verse 28, it says, And Thomas answered Jesus and said to him, My Lord and my God. So he called Jesus God because of the three members of the Trinity, the one whose divinity is the most challenged is actually Jesus. A lot of people will say he's a good man. A lot of people will say he's got good teaching. A lot of people will say he's even the greatest prophet. But he's more than that. He's actually God as well. That he actually is God. He is divine. I remember someone of another faith, another faith once contacted me and they said to me, you show me anywhere in the scripture where it says you're allowed to worship Jesus. I said, there's heaps. 
Even when Jesus was, even when um, Jesus was born, the Bible says that the wise men came to him and they brought presents to him. And then the Bible says that then they worshipped him. Here, Thomas himself is worshipping him. He gets a revelation that you're not just a man, you're actually God himself. Each member of the Trinity is divine. This is one of the great challenges. We talked about this when we started this series, that, the, that one of the major uh, lines of demarcation between truth and error is what you believe about Jesus Christ and embrace his divinity and embrace his humanity. It's actually one of the things, it doesn't matter if you think he's a good bloke, It doesn't matter if you think he's got good teaching. It doesn't matter even if you think he speaks on behalf of God. You have to believe that he is fully God and also fully man. That's one of the lines of demarcation. So any kind of, um, and and the, the body of Christ most broadly fully embraces all of this. But there are some little fringes on the edges which deny some of this. I know there's one group that actually denies the personhood of the Holy Spirit and his divinity, cross the line. There's other parts that actually deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. Ba-boom, cross the line. We need to understand that when it comes to the Trinity, or as we, we say in other, in, in other times, we call it the Godhead, that actually it's three divine and distinct persons. God is three. That's why it says, let us make man in our own image. John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Christ. We find that later on. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and not only that, the Word was God. Talking about Jesus Christ. So one of the key fundamental elements of the Trinity is actually God is three. But not only that, that that brings us to the next bit. And not only is God three, He's also one. So three divine persons but one God. So it says in one twenty-seven. so God says, let us, and then it says, so God created man in his own image, singular. So it flips around from plural to singular. He says, then us, and then it said he made it in his. Plural, singular. Three divine persons, God is three, but God is also one. One God. Three persons, one God. Not three little gods, Not three little gods running around. One God, but three divine persons. This is the bit that does your head in. This is the bit where you go crazy. This is the bit I saw some of you look at each other saying, what is he talking about? Because to try and get your head around it is nearly impossible. And in our Western mindset, we think we can figure out everything. And until we figure it out, we don't believe it. But we need to understand there's elements of mystery in the Scripture where God doesn't reveal every little element or scientific element of what is actually going on. And we need to understand there's some things we simply need to accept. Otherwise, we wouldn't live by faith, we'd live by sight. But we live by faith and not by sight. So there's some things we don't see and there's some things we don't get, but there's some things that are evident in the Scripture that are truth truthful and evident and we hold to. And that is this, God is three divine persons, but he's only one God. How do you figure that out? I can't. There's a thing, <laughs> there's, a, there's a term called uh, the imminence of the Trinity. Of the Trinity. Uh, and what that means is to find and figure out the full complexity. You cannot figure out the full complexity of it. It's one God, three persons. Not one God and three personalities. 
Not one God in three faces. Not one God in three manifestations. Not three little gods under the corporate banner of God. It's one God, three persons. That's why the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Three persons, distinct, divine, one God. So it's like, that's why most people don't preach on it. Because it's like, what practical application can you have for that? <laughs> well, one thing is it teaches us discernment for theological boundaries. That's a major boundary. So it doesn't matter what revelation you get. doesn't matter what you think God told you. If what you heard violates that, you're wrong. You heard from the other side, not from him. Amen. Because that is a foundational element of the Christian faith. Three divine persons and one God. And the third thing, the third thing we can see is this. God is a community. God himself is a community. Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created man in his own image altogether. The Bible actually tells us that the Father spoke and created. We also see that when he fashioned man together out of the dust of the earth, he breathed his spirit in there, working, all members of the Trinity, working in cooperation, almost indistinguishable, living in complete community. We see it all through the scripture where all three, uh, where all three members of the Godhead function together and work together. John chapter 16 verses 7 to 11 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the rule of the world is judged. So watch this. God wanted to save the world. And all members of the Trinity were going to participate because they do everything together. They're almost an indistinguishable community. So the Father sends a son. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And what was his job? His job was to die, take the punishment for our sin. And then he says to his disciples, because they think, right, let's take the world now. And he says, ah, I've got to go. Done my job. The Bible says he's gone to seat at the right hand of the, he's standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He says, I'm going to send the other guy, another helper. So when he uses that language, another helper, he's saying, divine like me. A person like me. Who is that helper? The Holy Spirit. You need him to come because he can be everywhere all at once. Do you see that? So even in the redemption of mankind, all three members cohesively work together. It wasn't like the Father said, look, I'm going to do this. You guys do whatever you want, but I'm doing this. They were actually a divine community. God himself is a community. There's only one time in Scripture where they're actually, their relationship is almost severed, and it's when Christ is on the cross. 
Bible says that when Christ is on the cross, that uh, he took the weight of uh, mankind, uh, weight of sin of mankind upon him. And then he yells from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? More agonizing than the physical punishment he had, it was the first time there was a level of separation within the Godhead. Because they're so used to being in community. So used to cooperating. So used to collaborating. So used to indistinguishably, indistinguishably working together. So here's the thing. If God's a community, we need to be as well. You want a practical application of the Trinity? The practical application is this. You cannot live the Christian life by yourself. I don't care how many podcasts you have. Podcasts, cool. We do podcasts. Listen to them sometime. They're pretty cool. Your favourite preacher somewhere, that's awesome. That's fine. That's good. But it's not community. We are created to be part of a community. We live in a Western society where, we, where our mindset of church is consumerism. I come, I consume, which is fine. But the reality is to lead that truly fulfilling Christian life, we need to be part and engaged in community. Community is when we're around people that we know and they get to know us. Community, not a commune. <laughs> not where someone is controlling and manipulating our lives. No, no, no. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but many, many years ago, I was actually part of a little cult that formed. Uh, that We're talking like nearly 30 years ago now. And it scarred me for life because I was forever, man, I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm not going to, does that make sense? And I've learned the happy balance that as a Christian and as a man and as a person, I need to be in community. The Bible says I'm made in his image. If I'm made in his image, then I need to be part and a member of a community to be fully functioning. That's why the number one punishment in prison is isolation. The number one punishment. So for our Christian faith to be outworked, to be, as, to be completely fulfilled, we need to be part of a Christian community. And one of the ways we can go from being part of a Christian community is to move from the level of consumerism and step over into the level of sacrifice and community. That's why one of the greatest things you can actually do to feel active and part of a Christian community is to be engaged in serving within that community. You know, I just had, uh, yesterday we had our volunteers day, which was awesome and uh, so much fun. And, uh, and Roz, I had a good chat to Roz. I always like having a chat to Roz. Where are you, Roz? Oh, yeah, over the side there, Roz. She's wearing one of the serving t-shirts. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Roz, um, and I didn't realise this because when we came, I didn't know who was who or anything like that. And I saw Roz when I came, but I only found out later that was her first Sunday. So the first Sunday of Trish and I here was Roz's first Sunday and she felt God tell her, didn't know anything about Kings, she felt God tell her to start going to Kings on the first January, first Sunday of January in 2018. So I was like, oh, thank God. So, um, and so Roz has been a great blessing and I've only ever known her on the service team because she's been on it for, she straight away got involved in the service team. And she actually said to me yesterday, she goes, the best thing I ever did to get engaged with our church community was to actually be part of a service team. Just as we're doing that, as we're, you know, spending a bit of time, making a little bit of sacrifice, but we're doing it together. We as Christians are better together. You cannot do it by yourself. We have to do it better together. And more than just sitting around in a corner singing Kumbaya waiting for Jesus to, turn, as, uh, to return, as we're actively doing things and serving and advancing the kingdom of God, 
God is doing great things and building and knitting us together. We need to be part of a Christian community. That is how God has created us. Maybe for some of you here, um, and you've been thinking that next year some things have cleared up in your schedule, some things have cleared up in your calendar, and you've been thinking to yourself, you know what, I wouldn't mind getting engaged in hospitality at the church. I wouldn't mind getting engaged in the um, service team at the church. I wouldn't mind getting involved in some of the programs that the church has run. I'm here to let you know, not only will God use you to advance the kingdom of God, but there's something that opens up and is fulfilling on the inside of us when we become part of a Christian community. God is not like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit sitting around talking theology, sipping lattes. They're actually off doing things together. That's true community. True community is actively engaged around a cause and a task and advancing. Does that make sense? And every single one of us are actually wired for that. I remember there was a time in my life where God really challenged me as a young Christian, and, and I had very much a consumer mindset, very much a consumer mindset. And God really spoke to me. He said, listen, you've got to stop thinking consumer-minded and think more like, you know, getting engaged and service-minded. And, and it did so many good things for my heart and soul. Yes, it was a bit more time. Yes, there was more activities that I started doing, but something awakened on the inside of me. Before that time, I used to backslide and walk away from God all the time. I remember I had a three-month cycle of actually, uh, of actually, you know, stumbling and nearly walking away my, from my faith for about three years. But after that time, when I started living a life of service, forgetting about all that, getting involved and engaged in my local church, it was amazing the strength and the growth and the fulfilment that came into my heart about being actively engaged and part of that Christian community. God himself is a community. We are made in his image so we are only fully functioning and, uh, as a community. And I know in our consumer-minded, individualistic mindset, uh, a society that we grow up in, we actually, sometimes we rail against, against that. But how much depression is there out there? How much negativity is there out there when people are only living for themselves, isolated from others? There's something awesome and something good about being engaged and involved and serving as part of a Christian community. God himself is a community. He said, let us sit around and just talk theology. No. He said, let us do something. Make man in our own image. And they're all actively present and engaged, actively functioning as a community. God himself is three. Three distinct persons, equally divine. But it's only one God, not three little gods. And, one of the, and the two practical applications we can take for this, which is why most preachers don't preach on it because not a whole lot of practical application. But the first practical application is this. We can make sure we know that as theological boundary markers for discernment. And number two, understand God is a community, so I need to be part of one as well. Amen? Praise God. Can I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? Worship team, will you come? Maybe you're in this place and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're visiting today and you've come and you thought, what have I just jumped into here? Um, I just want to let you know that the Trinity we're talking about actively work together for your salvation. The Bible says the Father sent the Son so that he might die on the cross for us so that we could be made right with God and then his Holy Spirit is now present to regenerate and empower you to live that Christian life that he's called you to live. 
and say maybe you're in this place and you have not given your life to Christ, but you want to. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, just right where you are, I want you to slip up your hand and say, that's me. This morning, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to give my life to Him. If that is you right where you are, slip up your hand and say, that's me this morning. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to have a relationship with God. Church, would you stand to your feet right now? Lift your hands to heaven. We'll worship one more time, but I just want to pray for you. We are better together. You know one of the things I love about our church? I love the fact that we've got history. I love it. There's something special about being shoulder to shoulder with a group of people loyally sticking together, advancing the kingdom of God. Amen. You know, the people who are actually the most, the closest, are very often people who have been in the army together. They came to the one place. They actively got involved and were with together, went through good times and bad. And at the end of it, they're like brothers. Amen. I reckon our church is a bit like that. Put your hand up if you've been in our church for over 10 years. Wow, look at that. Look at that. Keep it up if it's over 20. Keep it up if it's over 30. Keep it up if it's over 40. Praise the Lord. Better together. I'm looking forward to 20 years' time when I wheel Rob and Jan Fuller in on their wheelchairs and sit him to the side of the bookshop and set up a little organ for him to play sometimes. And, and Brendan Blakemore coming in and getting a bit senile and yelling at people. And, and Ian Brazel out, out the back at Logan because that's where he's going to be based and prophesying over people out in the foyer. And Who is this guy? Don't worry, that's Ian. He's been with us forever, don't worry. We're better together. He's three. He's one. He's a community. We're a few hundred. We're one. We're a community. Amen? That's why the Bible says, I think he inhabits the praises of his people, not the praises of that person. When his people get together, he loves it. And as we lift our hands and worship him and praise him, his presence comes. He says, here are my kids all in one place. It's awesome, amen? So why don't we please our Heavenly Father? Lift our hands, lift our voice, and worship Him as we leave this place, amen? He's an awesome God.